0: we signed the deal. We did what's called a split sign and close. I think I told you this offline, but like, so we signed on the 21st of December and we closed on the 4th. So imagine the most like anticipatory two weeks <laughs> of your life. The deal is done. Like all it, 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 hustle this, hustle.
1: Is, I don't know if we're going to run this, but this is the, the A version of blue balls.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say that, but yes, it, it's just like, Oh my God, is it going to like, it's going to happen. It's like, yeah, you know and then your family like nobody knows you to congratulate you like but i was like that's not close my dad's like a real estate guy so he's like you don't you stay on this every day until like you know it's not done until the money's in the bank like so there's yep. like, all these like it's just like sitting there and that was a like it's just a highly anticipation oriented period
1: what's up everyone i'm alex lieberman yo this is jesse puji and this is the crazy ones okay i'm gonna start with something have a little surprise. Oh! Tell me if you can hear this. <laughs> 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 it's the acquisition alarm. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Crazy Ones. My co-host Jesse. Class A crazy officially sold his business, Ampush, after, what, 13 years?
0: 13 years. 13, overnight success. Thir-
1: yeah, the 13-year overnight success. Congratulations, man.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: We are going to talk about a lot on this episode, from the origin story of Ampush, what the business is, so that you have some table setting, but then what the process is like of selling a business. It's It can be brutal at times. It can be long um, but there's so much you learn. And then, of course, I'd be remiss to not ask the the squishy questions about the emotions around the process, what it was like to share the sale of a business with your family. So we're going to hit it all. Stay tuned for everything. And uh, welcome back to the crazy ones, everyone. Okay. So you sold your company. I saw pretty funny. I saw the the uh announcement on google i think before you saw
0: it I, know, I was just gonna tell you you were the person who told me <laughs> that it got announced it's so ridiculous
1: Did, you didn't have lesson
0: number one of selling your company it ain't your company anymore so they didn't they didn't call me and go hey can we send this press release that is the It most was supposed ridiculous to go out last thing. week and then i was just told like it's gonna go out sometime this week and then literally like you go hey it's public now <laughs> can we talk about it?
1: It, it it's it's absolutely ridiculous i have to start with one question <clears throat> How much did you sell it for? <laughs>
0: <laughs> One ta- day I'll share that. <laughs> <laughs> episode I was talking to Jesse before.
1: <laughs> I was talking to Jesse before this. So I said, "Is there anything off limits in this conversation?" And he said, "Nothing is off limits except for talking about the price." So I had to ask. Um, I, think the,
0: I think the pertinent detail is like it was a very good outcome. It was it's like life changing, and it's yeah. sort of it is the moment I think I dreamed of uh as a 20 something you know yeah opinion. how old
1: were you when you started do you remember the exact age
0: well here's a funny story so the name ampush you know this but the audience might not know this it's it's the first two letters of the founder's last name so chris amos jesse puji nick shaw and our first company we started sophomore year of college we were super douchey and it was called amos Pooji and shaw inc it was like oh my god and it was our t-shirt business and you know one day we were looking at the forms for it, and Chris, I think came up with it. Chris looked at it, and he goes, "Man, that spells ampush, and like immediately we jump on Google, like is that domain available uh and it was available, so we've owned the domain, and I've kind of used that name for various things since two thousand four.
1: I love it, I mean, that's and that's
0: how old it is and then and then we held on to it, and we didn't do much you know it, it and then the company sort of as as a real business and you know and as adults was we started in 2000 late 2009 and 2010 i
1: will say the name has a very good ring for it ring to it for like assembling initials of names and usually when you try to do that with founders like it doesn't work out like if i try to do it with austin reef alex Lieberman, it would be like lara and i really would have been upset if morning Brew's name was called lara so uh <laughs> it, it's a catchy name i i want to okay so the, the way we're going to do this is i want you to just set the foundation of the sale so um you know when the deal was done who you sold it to and then we're gonna pull we're gonna pull back the timeline and start working towards you know this week that everything just happened so tell me a little bit about the acquisition
0: yeah sure so it was acquired by a, a large tech enabled marketing services business um called tenuity and Tenuity has a really cool origin story itself, but it was it was a roll up of a variety of different marketing services and agency businesses. Uh, that business is backed by a really awesome private equity firm called New Mountain Capital, uh, who I got to know really well. I knew a little bit prior to this process, but really got to know them well and like love their approach. They're all about finding a good sector and actually buying a bunch of businesses inside of it to create a bigger business. They're super entrepreneurial. Uh, some of the partners there were awesome. Like they were they were generally a really great parties. So. The reason they bought the company, you know, they had had their eyes on it for multiple years. And so when we finally kind of put up the flag, which we can talk about, they pounced and they pounced pretty hard on it, which was exciting to see. They, you know, they had bought one small social agency without a lot of tech and and data chops. And I think they were, they, they felt like they could really, uh, that the Ampush offering would enhance what they were doing in a very meaningful way. And so I think for them, it was they're trying to build the mo- the largest i think they call themselves so the largest independent performance marketing business out there. They run Amazon, television, Google, and I think this was sort of an area where they thought they could they could build something really awesome and big and, oh. and kind of upgrade their capabilities.
1: And I feel like that it's a relatively common strategy in I guess like the private equity, middle yeah. market p world where like you have kind of like an anchor business and then that anchor business does all these kind of add-ons to increase the overall value, right? Like that's a common practice.
0: Yeah, very common. The other thing that happens, you know, it's kind of a cool thing is it's called multiple arbitrage. And, you know, one thing that just happens in business is as your business gets bigger, investors pay a higher multiple. It's more stable. It's demonstrated more sort of staying power. And so what a lot of these private equity firms do, and we were sort of a part of this arbitrage was, hey, I can pay you, you know, X multiple, I can buy at X-multiple, but I can sell at Y-multiple and Y-multiple is, you know, 2X or 50 to 100% greater than what I'm paying. And so naturally, every time I bring on a dollar of profit, it's worth more to me as the holder. The other cool thing is, you know, especially our management team and our CEO got a lot of equity. Uh, we got a little bit, um, which was by design, but so we we're riding a little bit with them in terms of what's what's going to happen.
1: Got it. Sweet. So I want to talk through the mechanics of the deal, but <clears throat> I would say probably some chunk of our audience knows your different businesses between Ampush and then all of your Gateway X businesses. But also, you know, I think the, the pot has grown a lot in the last month or two. So there are people who may not know your story and what Ampush is. So can you just provide context on what Ampush is, you know, when it started, what what the offering yeah. was so people can understand why a company would look to buy you guys?
0: Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll, let me I'll take five minutes to tell the whole saga because I yeah, think it's worth perfect. it. Um, just because, because I think you, you will appreciate the wholesale more knowing what all has happened. Um, Cause Ampush is really, I mean, Ampush for me and just to talk, you know, get the emotional a little bit, like it is the place I grew up as a business person. It's where I learned all the things I've learned. Everything I do without a doubt from here forward and from here forward will be Ampush at its core in some ways. Right. And it's, it's just like the first of anything, right? It's it's the first child, the first love. Yeah. Um, and it's also been multiple businesses. So I'll tell the story. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, my, my college roommates, all of us went to go work in like finance. We were in the financial crisis. Uh, Nick, one of our, our co founder you know, one of my partners, he was going to a hedge fund in 2009. And he gets an email. I get an email or message one morning from I was sitting at Goldman Sachs. And it says, blue wave has blown up it's down 40 percent. and i wake him up he's in india at the time working at morgan stanley and i'm like hey your hedge fund's gone like and and he kind of paused and he was like you know what i was like are you gonna i can get you a job interviews no big deal we'll figure this out and he's like i'm gonna chill i'm gonna see what happens and so he actually i think that was a big move for him without us i was still at a job and chris was at a job and he said i'm gonna just hang out and he like started kind of working on a project and then, you know, you call me every week for advice. And then like, you know, as these things snowball, I was kind of like, I wasn't loving the job anymore. And, you know, w- one funny story is, you know, what GLG is. Yeah. yeah. So it's Gerson Learman Group. It's this expert network where like private equity firms and hedge funds can call experts. And so I told my firm probably in late 09, I'm leaving. I'm going to go start a business. You know, if, if you leave for a reason like that, they're very supportive. So they're like, oh, why don't you hang out for a few more months, transition your work? What can we do for you? So I was like, well, I want to just use GLG. G- Goldman has like an unlimited, probably million dollar a month subscription to GLG. And every day we had three experts calls with like digital no marketing way. experts. It was amazing. I mean, dude, you couldn't ask for that. That is, that is the better. most
1: incredible hack.
0: Best hack ever. We got the sell side internet analysts to come pitch me and tell me like, what's the growing sector? And so we had a lot of support in getting it going. And we were really keen on bootstrapping. And I think I have this deck. I don't think I've ever shared it with you, but I will, which is like all about creating a really cool culture Generating cash flow and then multiplying it many times over, and and many times like what Gateway X is today. That vision was was back in 2009. We had no idea how to execute it, but we wanted to find a business we could get going, we could start, and, and sort of multiply on top of each other. And so we heard from people. They say, "Oh, you're good with numbers, data. Go look at digital marketing." Okay, so a bunch of 25 year olds. We said, "Okay, we'll go look at digital marketing." We start poking around. We go, "We have no relationships. We don't know anyone." They go, well, there's this one sector called performance marketing. It's kinda like Wall Street. You spend your own money and if it works, you make some money back. And if you don't, it doesn't work. So we're like, okay, performance marketing. <laughs> we're like, uh, what's a good space to do this in? And at that time, just totally randomly, you know, Kaplan University of Phoenix online education was having this day in the sun because it was a recession. There was like this legal issue, the loophole that they were taking advantage of. So we decided, just totally screened our way into this, meaning we, you know, no passion, we're just like, We're going to start generating leads for online universities using digital marketing. We're going to arbitrage it. We literally bought AdWords for dummies, start reading them. We had financial models and PowerPoint presentations and we didn't know anything. We hadn't made a single sale. We, We, for eight months, we did this. The one funny hustle thing we did, you probably heard this story from me is there was a company called Quinn street that went public early on in us getting going. And a friend of mine called me, uh, who was a hedge fund guy. And I was like, isn't this what you're doing? Like, it, it, it sounds really familiar. And, and he's like, explain it to me. So I started walking him through how digital marketing works and how you buy a click and then you get a conversion. And he, <laughs> he was like, this is amazing. This is so valuable. And like the light bulb went off in my head and I called GLG back and I'm, and you know, I used to be a customer. I go, can I be an expert now? My, my rate is $500 an hour. And I was like, are you getting questions about this Quinn street company? And they're like, yes, we are. And I'm like, great. And I, I start getting these calls for $500 an hour. And then someone goes, do you have more research or data? You know this space so well. And of course, I'm like, sure we do. So Nick and I spent one weekend making a 50-page deck. I'll send it to you after this call or we can post it. Yeah, 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 It's all about the online lead gen industry. And we started selling it for $5,000 a pop to hedge funds. And for a minute, we were like, "Should we do this business? Like, this seems like a way better business." So, anyway, we were we were doing a bunch of random stuff for the first you know eight months.
1: Were you u- were you using that just to fund your business? Like, was it enough? <laughs> yeah, we, to I actually... mean, we, the
0: way we funded the business was the three of us. There were a few sources of capital. The three of us each decided to put thirty three thousand dollars in, which we had made kind of working on our Wall Street jobs. We were 25, 26. We had one of the most unique arrangements in the history of co-founder arrangements, which was Chris had a commitment to Carlisle. He was a private equity and he had nine more months left on his contract and he didn't want to burn the bridge and leave early. But we all agreed that basically we would treat ourselves as one entity and he would give up two thirds of his salary to the en- to the entity while we we tried to get the company. And that's how we all remained equal partners. That is so interesting. Which is like the, Our accounts were like, this is the craziest arrangement <laughs> we've ever seen. And then, um, and then we used credit card debt, like we used American express. Actually, one of the saddest moments in the closing of this deal was when I had to cancel the Ampush Amex. Cause I was oh. like, oh my God, this thing, like I hope you kept it. the card. Yeah. I mean, it, I have the card, but it's like, damn, it, yeah. was, it was a moment. But, um, and then, and then, and yeah, we sold these reports and other hustles to kind of give us enough money to keep going. So anyway, we, we, we learned how to do these ads. We build a landing page and a website. I think I'm super smart, you know, start running Facebook ad ca- or Google ad campaigns on AdWords and just start losing our ass. I mean, we would spend $5,000 and we'd get five leads. That so we you, were were just, $50 you were just, you were just
1: shitty at the one job you are doing.
0: The one, I mean, sh- beyond <laughs> shitty, right? And like, didn't work Yeah, over, made it so complex, overdid it. And we're just like, what were we thinking? This was a terrible idea. We don't know. We have no idea what we were doing. Like, it really hit us at that moment. You have all the like, kind of positive version of it and we had no, you know, this was something we were starting from a cold start, you know, we had nothing going for us. So we just, we grinded for 90 days, eventually started making like a 5% profit using Google ads and just really simplifying it, frankly, copying our competitor. We just found what competitors were doing and started copying Which
1: by the way is like the best hack in the early (laughs) days of the business is just look at a competitor who probably has tested Everything because they're everything, better, right? Better we're like, they're funded. buying this keyword. They're sending yeah. it to this
0: funnel. Like yeah. I literally went. That was the final solve. I was like, I want, I want to, because we we were trying to make our website really fancy because we thought the websites in the space look shitty. Yeah. Then we realized, no, 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 we're we're the you know we don't know what the hell we're doing. Drag and drop. Nobody wants that. They want to quickly move through the funnel and submit a lead, right? Totally. And so, so we we start copying we better, making a five ten percent margin on what we're doing, and you know that was right around the time Facebook had launched the first version of their self serve ad platform and. We actually ported over the same, back then There's this thing called AdSense, which is now Google Display Network. And you could say like categories like, oh, painting, oil drawing, oil painting, and they would contextually target on a website. We took those same exact ones and copied them over to be likes and interests on Facebook. And then we'd make ads that were like, are you an art, stu- art, art lover? You should get your online degree at, you know, whatever. And what was a 5% margin on Google was a 75% margin on Facebook. Why? <clears throat> well, we were the first we were the first move.
1: Yes. Yeah. So there was just no demand there yet.
0: There was no demand. No one knew how to use it. You had to build one ad at a time. And literally within a, a six months of doing it, we had guys in India doing it. It was our first version of growth assistant. Right. But we had people just uploading one ad at a time and going. And then the clients called us and said, these are amazing leads. Where are you getting them? And we said, oh, well, we figured out, We, you know, and, and that became this calling card. And here, I'll tell you a crazy story. In June of 2010, the business did 100 grand in gross revenue. By August of the following year of 2011, it was doing 2 million a month in gross revenue. It just, it just skyrocketed. I mean, and it was all Facebook, right? And it, I mean, we, not all Facebook, but it was 70% Facebook. We were scaling it as fast as we possibly could.
1: Were you scaling clients or just you were, Scaling a ton of okay, yeah, because there's
0: it. only 20 clients that matters, like yeah, Kaplan yeah. University of Phoenix, yep. art institutes.
1: So you're still all exclusively in education.
0: All in and expand, yeah, yeah. correct. All, all, exactly, all in education, um, and growing that business really fast. And then you know we started to get a little bit like the whole lead gen category of performance marketing was a little bit skeezy. Like we go to these conferences, we didn't like, you know, we we're just like this is not a space that. We were proud of, you we wanted to tell our grandma about it. Like there's a lot of, you're selling people's information. It just wasn't, wasn't our cup of tea, but the business was making a lot of money. And, and by the way, it was, you know, everyone's listening, like it was making millions a year in profit and we were 18 months in and all coming from Facebook. And we got, you know, a call from Facebook and actually really one of these serendipitous things where our account manager was this awesome woman named Pat Lai and she moved internally at Facebook from the account management group to the partnerships group. And one of her mandates was go find companies that Facebook can partner with to build around their ads ecosystem. They can build software, they can build services. So Pat, I, I jokingly call her the fourth co-founder. She was she was like, guys, stop this lead gen stuff. You're you're like literally so smart on the platform. You should be building a, a software and tech platform. And so in early 2011, I think I broke off and. Nick and Chris continued to run the core business. And I started a new business that for many years we called Ampush Social. Now, eventually we sold the lead gen business off in like 2013. We divested it. Um, We can talk about that. And we went all in on the social business around uh, late 2012, early 2013. We went all in on it. And, you know, at that period, we were one of the few companies who knew how to make Facebook ads work. One of the few who had access to Facebook's unique API. We knew it wouldn't last forever, but like we were early to it. And... We were getting calls and, and customers that like today or dreams, they were tiny companies then. We got this one coming like, hey, we got cabs in 10 cities. Like, I don't know <laughs> if it's going to be very big. And it's like, oh, it's Uber. Okay. Yeah. And like, next thing you know, we scaled them to 600 cities globally. We were spending 50 to $100 million a year with them on driver acquisition, g- getting drivers to sign up to be on the platform. Dollar Shave Club, Clash of Clans. It's insane. Peloton, Blue Apron. I mean, you name, like we had a stat that eight out of 10 unicorns have been Ampush clients at some point. Yeah. And so for us, it was, you know, we originally wanted to be a SaaS business, by the way, nobody wanted to buy the software. They wanted services. We were bootstrapped. We didn't, we didn't know SaaS service. We didn't know any of that shit. We just said, great. They need services. We're going to, we started hiring young, really bright kids, training them on how to do this. Nobody, you know, 80% of Ampushers don't have a marketing and advertising background. We taught them from the ground up. The business grew, grew and grew and grew. And, you know, 2015 came around. I was probably your age, maybe a little bit older, 30. And we were like, we're going to sell. We're going to grow really fast and we're going to sell. And we ran this process and we ended up with a handful of, of, of really good offers. Um, but in my mind, I thought we were going to sell the business for nine figures. I was like, we're going to sell it for nine figures. And
1: how big was the business then? Can you say? The.
0: Um, uh, probably shouldn't but <laughs> okay. it was it, it was well so what we'd been told at the time there was like companies like rocket fuel and and marin software that were trading we were billion dollar market caps in 2012 okay. and 13. by 2015-16 they had gone down 80 90 percent why and so as somebody they were just they were just ad tech businesses that weren't they were sort of overhyped but when yep. we greenlit ourselves the strategy we said we're going to grow and sell for a huge multiple. Basically the multiple colla- like didn't come in. Yeah. It was still life-changing money. It was still bootstrapped, no outside money. But one of my big lessons from that looking back on it was like I did not understand my emotions. I didn't I was so sad and disappointed because I was like connecting myself to my valuation and I was like no, that's wrong. That's wrong. And I was no the market's never wrong, right? I mean you go out and you you say what it is. And so we ended up, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason. We ended up selling a minority stake to this really cool company called Red Ventures. And we actually gave them an option to buy the rest of the business for, you guessed it, nine figures. We, we literally, like, because in my brain, it was so clear that that's what I, that's the, that was my mark I'd created for myself. Yeah, stupid mark you, you
1: had to keep the dream alive.
0: I had to keep it. That's exactly what it was, right? Yeah. And the deal, that was kind of a cool deal, by the way, like, which is, it was unique and maybe only very few companies would have done it they bought you know a stake in the company a took 20 20ish percent stake in the company we gave them an option to buy the rest of the business at a nominal number not a multiple so normally you'd give an option to buy at a multiple totally. but we said no nominal number and the reason for that was it was a 2 year option and we wanted we were going to behave as one company so because they basically had all the incentive in the world to pump our ebitda cuz they had a fixed price they could buy us back totally at. and you know so we signed this deal we celebrate the first year and what we year was access- that That was in late 2015. Okay. There were all kinds of other learnings along the way, but yeah, late, late 2015. And that was very close to an M and a style deal because they, you know, we'd done most of the paperwork and you know, what immediately occurred to us like a few months after it One, we, we made good money. And so that started this sort of reflection of like, what's the point of this and whatever, which we can talk about. But the bigger thing was we were tired. Like we had been grinding, you know, for five years and we said, and now I said, now, now you have to change your business to try to fit the mold of this Red Ventures thing you did. And it was like, it was just for the first time I was like, I don't really want to do that. like, I, I don't really want to do that. Right. And, and it was like, we probably had our worst year ever in 2016. Um, at
1: that point, were you regretting doing the deal or did you never regret it?
0: Hugely. I mean, well, also because they were willing to buy the whole company, but I was so caught up on valuation and we, the deal I described. Oh, so that was
1: actually an option.
0: They would have bought the company full out multiple. We had multiple offers to sell the company, just not for the number that Jesse yep. Fuji's ego yeah, 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 wanted. Yeah. Right, uh, his thirty-year-old ego is <laughs> like, no, it has to be a bigger number. Right, yep. I'm worth, I'm worth this, and you're wrong. All you people are wrong about what I'm worth. Right. Um, I I didn't do coaching back then. I didn't know it. Like now, I'd say like if I'd felt my disappointment and sadness, I probably would have made a clearer headed decision. I just didn't. It wasn't a clear headed decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so. Yeah. We regretted immediately. We had to, we fired a bunch of people the next year. We were one foot in one foot out. So we were trying to convert our business model more like red ventures. Um, but, but we weren't willing to fully commit because we were afraid that they, you know, they, they, they had this option to buy us and they weren't being clear about it and I, you know, I'd had a, had a, a son. And I had a daughter on the way. Like it was just, it was a time that was like the worst period of of the whole thing. So you journey. had your son
1: in that two-year period. In that I had the son, year. like
0: my son within months of closing the Red Ventures oh deal. Oh my god. And so, which was fine by the way. I was like, oh, I'm a millionaire. Like, this is great. <laughs> and I have a kid. This is the right time to do it. Right. And but then like then you become a parent of a young kid. And um and I just yeah, I wasn't feeling motivated. I wasn't feeling excited. Uh the one silver lining was like the the Rick and the Red Ventures guys. I mean, we they were so impressive. Like I said this, I think on Twitter, like I thought I was an eight out of 10 business person. Then I met them and I was like, Oh my God, I'm a four out of 10. Um, and not in a mean way to myself or anyone, they're just, they're just genius. I mean, they're very smart. They're dialed in. They're extremely kind. Like they had found this, like, you know, I said, like I worked at both McKinsey and Goldman and I would look at my bosses there and not in a mean way again, I just never wanted to be them. Totally. And Rick was the first person I'd worked with my life who I said I want to be that guy yeah you day.
1: saw that you saw the perfect formula right you said it sounds like you saw perfect the person formula. who like on one hand had this out of your brain that can like do laps around people when it comes to analyzing deals and companies Math, strategy chess, right but then on chess. but on the other side someone who ha- like so deeply exhibits like empathy uh for other people and actually cares yeah. about them and to find that mix is extremely yeah, rare. and
0: is like so comfortable in his own skin yeah Right. And it's funny because I tell him these sometimes like, man, I'm working on myself. He's like, well, you know, I I, I was in a plane crash. I almost died. So I kind of have a <laughs> cheat code. He's very gracious about it. Right. So no, but it's, like, tr-
1: it's true. It's true. Yeah.
0: Um, so anyway, so we, we did that deal. You know, we, we really blew up the business. I mean, the original Ampush business was more or less gone by 2018. And this new business that we had created that was, it was basically deeper, more involved partnerships, so on and so forth. We continue to run it business was growing it was it was kind of coming back but it was more volatile and you know i got to 2019 and kind of there's something about hitting your nine year anniversary and anything where you're like oh next year's 10 like it it causes you to reassess and i had started coaching in 2017 18 and one of the big things is like finding up the thing that really truly lights you zone of genius yep and i love you know i knew that i wanted my my why that i talk about is wanting to help other people learn and grow to be the best versions of themselves and using entrepreneurship as the way of doing that. Mm-hmm. And so we did a lot of things inside of Ampush to do that. We we invested in companies. We we tried a lot, but we never quite got there. And so I think it just became clear that like I couldn't run Ampush as the CEO while also trying to like live that purpose. I just wasn't able. I tried it for multiple years. And that's really what led me to go, okay, I'm ready to kind of transition out. And actually at first, we were gonna we were gonna use Ampush as a as a hold co-platform. It was generating a lot of cash flow. And we were going to, what I've done at gateway X, we were literally going to do a version of that at underneath Ampush because we had the cash. And why didn't you? You know, what happened was so, so just to kind of memory lane, right? So transition out, we interviewed actually outside CEOs. We ended up selecting the head of our New York office to be a CEO. He's awesome. He knew the culture. He was the, he was the one everyone wanted. People cheered when we announced it at the company-wide meeting, the company-wide meeting to announce it. And our offsite was February 20th of 2020. Uh, you may know what happened a month later, right? The world shut down, right? So all of a sudden, the world shuts down. I was I moved back to St. Louis after ten years uh, in the Bay, that was also part of my plan pre-COVID, and a part of me stepping down and, and not being CEO. And we just took some time off. Nick and I took some time off, and I think we got back together. And basically, between us two, and then Red Ventures, who's an investor, and John, who is an important stakeholder they're just people didn't want to do that there wasn't alignment around doing mm-hmm. that you know he, he was running the company now he was like I, I i need my cash i want to you know manage it red ventures like guys i don't want to be jesse's playground and nick was like i'm tired i want to take a little bit more of a break and i was ready to get going as you know i, I took a little more time off and so from that point forward we essentially um you know we ran it as sort of we were controlling shareholders, um, you know, Nick and I. Meaning, we ultimately called all the shots of what happened, but we tried to empower John. You were the chairman like at a, that point. I was chairman. I mean, it's it's a pretty informal board. Yeah. Oh right? yeah, yeah. The board was me, Nick, and Red Ventures. Yeah, and then John was sort of like a tech, legally technically wasn't a board member, but he, he behaved as one. Yep. Um, we'd meet once a quarter. You know, we were involved. I was still involved in helping drive a lot of business to the business. You know, to the business. I took most of 2020 off, and then I started Gateway X in uh, in 2021. And so, I was not super involved. There was different points where it ebbed and flowed. I was really supporting John. I, whatever he needed me to do, I would do. Him and I had to recalibrate our relationship a ton because he was used to reporting to me. Yep. And now I was like, well, I kind of report to you now, John. Like you're the CEO. That took him some time. He had to lead a business through COVID, which I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. I mean, and poor guy, like he became CEO and. COVID happened and it was tough on him.
1: Probably made him a 10 times better operator.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. And anyway, so th- we, we make it through that. We had a huge year during COVID. We were actually down the, the next year, which like, COVID we had a bump. We weren't expecting. And then the business was back up in, in 22. And, you know, he he at the beginning of 22 sort of said, like, I need a change of scenery. I need different people around the table. You guys are kind of off doing your own thing. Red Ventures is no longer involved. Red Ventures would ready to be done with it too, right, from their perspective. And, uh, wait, and
1: by the way, I have to, I, I'd be, I have to ask about it because you talked about this timeline. What happened in 2017 when the two year option was up?
0: They didn't exercise, I mean, they, they just they,
1: didn't exercise it and they kept their 20 something percent. Yeah.
0: They, they kept their, as a minority owner, they had gone on to do a totally different business strategy, as Got most it. people know, buying all these content businesses. Yep. Uh, They weren't interested in a marketing services business anymore. And uh, yeah, but they've been, I mean, they've been great partners. So throughout all of that, they've been fantastic and always helpful whenever we needed them. But yeah, it's a tiny rounding error for their business. It's not like they were giving us their their resources. Yeah, for
1: context, by the way, for people listening who have never heard of Red Ventures, Red Ventures is like the biggest company you've never heard of. I think last I saw, you know, rough valuation on the business is like $12 billion. Uh, It's a massive company.
0: Yeah, and totally bootstrapped too. Yeah. By the way, um, wow. and 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 amazing people. But yeah, so so that was kind of John was like, I'm ready for a change of scenery. I want to get my team a win. He negotiated with us for for incentives for his team. Like there was a lot of things that went on where he's like, I'm ready to kind of. And I think if he could have had his ultimate top choice, he probably would have had his own like found a private equity partner and started to buy companies himself to create like spread the ambush culture. I think the Tenuity guys basically give him a version of that that's got a little more scale and capital. And what's really cool is they, you know, this was a proud moment for me. There's a, there's a, they're a huge company, but they have a team that's kind of competitive with Ampush. And they're going to have that team kind of coming under reporting into John. And they're like embracing the culture that we built and wanting it's to awesome. have as a big part of what they're doing. So that was an awesome moment for him. Awesome moment for me where we're like, cool, this is really a cool thing that we're doing. So anyway, that's kind of the whole, the long version of the story. <laughs> the, the five minute Ampush update. I love yeah, it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, okay. So that is, I think it's awesome foundation setting and I want to go from that point you just finished on forward to talk about the deal. I think the first thing that I'm sure founders who are listening to this are wondering is like, how do you know when is the right time to sell? So it seems like in the context of your business, John, who was the CEO of the business, like he was ready for for a change it was that the primary driver for why you guys were looking to sell Ampush was there anything else contributing to it
0: yeah i think it's a great question i mean you know in, in 2015 i i think what i'll say is i think most founders undervalue how important it is that they it's a personal it's such a personal choice so in the case of john i mean john was like hey guys we, you know we're going to sell this business or or i might you know i need to, i i need a change of scenery one way or the other sort of right that was kind of and we're we're best buddies and trust so that it wasn't like he was going to surprise us with anything but he was also raising a flag going guys i'm and that was the ceo version professional ceo version of the founder version which i maybe happened to me in 2015 16 which was like i've worked really really hard for a long time and i'm ready for something different yep and i think like way too many founders who are great tacticians and try to get the answer right all the time go, what's the right time is it optimized is the valuation optimized <laughs> all these other things optimized and you it, with enough years under your belt you realize that stuff is far less important than am i ready and is it the right thing for the people in the company? And so I think in our case, it was, everybody was ready. You know, like it's, it, if it was going to be the hold co, we would have probably owned it for a really long time. But now that it wasn't, it no longer made sense. It was a huge asset in my portfolio that was like, it, it, you know, not, it, not diversified at all. Yeah. And there's, just a, there's,
1: there's a feeling of like, you don't have full sense of like control over your money. You no,
0: for sure. Yeah. I mean, one of our my friends in private equity he he says, "Look, we buy the business because it's a good business, and then the CEO we either back him or sack him." That's yeah. literally and 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 then the and at first I was like, "Damn, that's hardcore." <laughs> then I was like, "Well, no, that's actually the only thing I control is who's running the company and the company and what does the company do." Yeah, that's, like, that, that is exactly that
1: their incentive.
0: Yeah, I and mean, that's so. how we were. We were like essentially active private equity owners. We weren't going to get involved. There was a couple of instances where John and I got into it, which was rare. But it's because he expected me to show up more like a person who still worked there. And I was like, well, I've got a bunch of other things going on. Yeah. And and so him and I finally got on the same page about that, which is partly my fault. Like I was saying, I'll do that for you. And then I would be late on it or something, you know, and, and, and then he'd go, what the hell, Jesse, when you told me you're going to do something you normally do. And I'm like, shit, you're right. I've got, I've got other things in my life. And totally. And so that was part of the, you know, okay. The so you got,
1: you got to this point where, so it sounds like all, of, all of the founders and then, and John were like ready for the next thing. So once you knew that you wanted to exit the business in some way, like, what do you do from there? Like, what is the process? Like, okay, I want to sell the company. What do you actually go and do?
0: Yeah, but it's it wasn't the best year in the history to sell a company. That's Probably sure. not. Um, so that is what it, I mean. You could consider timing, and and again, like people have pinged me since the deal and going, oh, what what should I do? Should I, you know, especially guys who run marketing services businesses, and I've said, look, if 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 you can, um. If you don't have to, and if you're not in a rush, if you're not like, then hang on for another year or two, because there's no reason not, you know, mm-hmm. wait till the market's a little bit better. Um, but in our case, you know, it's it, the best analogy, and you know this is kind of like, you know, selling your house. Okay, you decide, and you're like, okay, let me make sure my carpets look clean, and my, you know, repaint it a little bit. And so there's a little bit of just like, we did, we spent a lot of time in the beginning of 22, as an example, getting all of our most important customers into really long-term agreements. Right. So I'm like, these are going to be ironclad multi-year agreements, and we may even gave up on price and certain things that we might have otherwise not done to get them into these contracts. Right. Um, we made sure our best people were locked down and they were feeling excited about the year and, and incented appropriately. There was real tactical incentives handed out really related to this, what I don't recommend actually normally, but in our case, it made sense. Um and then, yeah, we started, you know, whatever, paying attention to the business, spending more time with John. We started, we, our board meeting shifted to every six weeks. So we would start just paying, being closer to it, trying to drive things forward. And then we started meeting with bankers. And, it, you know, it, it was it was interesting because it was a mixed bag. Like we had bankers who were like, I, I actually don't want to work with you guys. Like, I think you should wait. And we have other we have other business. So it wasn't like a you know slam dunk that everyone was like, oh yeah, this is the hottest deal on the planet. You know, I'm just yeah. being completely honest. And one well, and also and so we right, like,
1: there there are certain bankers like they won't think about working with a business unless it's at a certain size because it's not worth their time. Yeah, there
0: right? was it was a combo of size, growth, you know, market current market conditions because because yeah, you know, they're doing their math of like bankers for everyone's knowledge. You, they they get paid on a success fee. So they're basically betting on their chances and ability for you them to get you a deal good enough that you'll take it. And so some people just look at us and kind of go, either they didn't think we were serious enough or they like, they didn't think the market was right. They think, I don't know if I'm going to get you a deal and you're going to take that deal. I, I think I can get you a deal, but you may not accept that deal. And so they have to kind of balance all that out. Um, and one of the big pieces of feedback they got was like, get a quarter or two of this year under your belt showing that your plan is going to work because of because COVID was such a volatile period for the business, we needed to get make it more stable. And so by Q two or so, John was beating his plan, and we we started went you know talking to more folks and started working with a banker. Um, and you know, you by the way, just another thing is you, you're not first of all too small for like Morgan Stanley or some big company, but you go typically find a banker who knows your space and sector really well. I don't. Did you guys use a banker?
1: Yeah, we did, and we use like a yeah. boutique guy who. He was he ran uh, corporate development at IEC, the big media. Yeah, exactly
0: company. right. So the, 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 we used a firm called Palazzo. They had been at previously at other media related firms. Like it, they they knew this space really well, right? Yep. They could tell talk to us about our business and what the buyers wanted. And you know when we ran the red ventures process, we didn't use a banker, and I actually think it was a mistake. Um, I, it was again me and my ego being like, I can get us a deal, no, and I did get us the deals, but yeah, it's not worth
1: you, paying them the fee. I I can just that's like exactly do it what and, I said yeah, in twenty fifteen. Yeah.
0: And the work part of it is okay. I think there's a lot of leverage and I think they can say things and do things you can do that you, just, you can't do in a, in a buying and selling process. And they, and they help create leverage. They make everyone uh, behave more seriously, which if, if, if it's just me swashbuckling, like they're like, oh, we'll call you next week. There's a banker. They're like, this thing is happening. So if you either want it you get involved, so that helps create leverage of multiple parties getting involved. I feel like it's
1: also just hard for you to be a hard nosed negotiator with the the company that you're going to then be in bed with after exactly, they buy you. Exactly.
0: So there's there's yeah. a lot of value there. Um We started marketing it in late August. Um It was pretty fast, honestly, and and I think I think there they were you know things moved very quickly. So late late August, we were a known quantity. That helped. We've been around forever, right? So it's not like no one was wondering who's this random company. It's yeah. been around 13 years, right? And, and so they knew us. So we went in had a lot of conversations. I think, you know, there were a handful of, of interested parties who got serious and put together like written terms to actually give us real things. And then I think the folks at tuning New mountain, they wanted the business. They were pretty, they moved fast and pretty aggressively. And again, just like when you're selling your house. Yeah. Maybe it's this other guy's offering you a little more money, but you're not sure they're going to have the cash in their bank account or there's other issues you have to kind of sort through. And then there's one guy who goes, I'll buy it all next week and all cash. Right. And so that's another big thing founders forget is certainty of close. Yep. Is the person going to actually get the deal done? Right. And there was a whole span of there's PE firms. There's th- these guys were backed by a bigger PE firm. There's like random founder led companies that there was a public company. Like there's all these different kinds of companies. And you're like, ooh, who's going to be the best? What's the best fit? You know, it's also in our case, unlike a lot of cases where you're the founder CEO, we weren't going with the business. So, we were a little bit, we were like, get the deal done, get the right numbers. What kind of economics are coming to us? But we also carved a lot out for John to go, hey, man, you're going to, you decide. And, and, and almost explicitly had an agreement with him of, we will accept, I think, I think I said 15%. I'll accept a 15% discount on mine in exchange for you choosing the right partner for you, right? Like, I don't want you, I don't want to sell you down the river. <laughs>
1: totally. <laughs> right? And I also feel like there's an aspect to it of like, you know, it makes sense to optimize for your economics, but also like you've built this thing over the last 13 years, like it'd be a shame to five totally. years from now, just see the company be a shell of itself.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think like one of the other many benefits of that red ventures deal was I'd had enough of a taste of making money to realize money is not everything. When I was 30 before I'd had that, I thought it was everything, which is why mm-hmm. I thought a hundred, you know, nine figure valuation versus a high eight figure was different. It's just my brain had never processed that stuff before. So, um, so yeah, we were we were under terms with them on November 1st. So September, October was taking pitch meetings with lots of different companies, going back and forth, going deeper in the numbers, getting LOIs. They moved pretty aggressively, and we weren't going to slow them down.
1: How early in the process did you tell these—so your your banker talking to a lot of these different firms—how early in the process do you give—do they get an indication of, like, the price that would be required or the terms that would be required to get a deal done? Like, how early are expectations never, set?
0: Never. So we never gave pricing guidance because why would you do it? I mean, you know, if someone comes in. Like, and why would you, you signal? Why signal? Unless you need, I mean, you, you can, as you get closer to someone, if someone's late to the party, which happened in our case, we gave you give them a number and they're kind of like, it take me yeah. a few weeks. I got to get basically the just fast track them. Yeah. Well, well, once you have a real written offer in your hand from a serious party or a few, right. Then then you the leverage flips very quickly. First you're yep. like get get everyone to fall in love with me. Oh, a few people fallen in love with me. Okay, now I get to pick and I can call the other parties and go, here's the number if you want to get involved. Yeah, it's now happen. you're like,
1: let let me shop this in the, it's like the getting most a job. Right? Way.
0: You you go around interviewing for a job and you make sure you put your best pair of shoes on and you tell your story and then you get three job offers and you get to start digging. So that's kind of what that process feels like. Got it. Uh, in our case, there was a lot of alignment on our side, again, because it meant different things for different people. And that was a really important part of this. Uh, and then, yeah, the closing process went, you know, closed on January 4th. Um, so that we was, you know, I was pretty impressed with everyone. We got done in 63 days or whatever. And it was it was a bear. I mean, for context
1: was... that like Jesse's. So the, the process from beginning to end. How long was that process for you for you from when you hired your banker to close
0: August to January? Yeah. So, so just like for... on the fastest possible, especially yeah. in this market.
1: <laughs> just for for. Folks who you know haven't been part of an M and A process, haven't sold their business, that is incredibly fast. Like I would say, you know, for Morning Brew, our sale process was eleven months. It's definitely on the longer side. That was from like in the thick of COVID, which is why things were slowed down. But you know, four four and change months is like crazy fast.
0: Great, yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's like six to twelve is is normally what they'll say, and what I would tell people. Yeah. Also, I think ours. The, the couple of things that demonstrated was like again we we're a known quantity, so like it, you know and you build if 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 you're in multiple if you're in year four or five and thinking about this like build relationships now so that by the time you have those conversations you're a known quantity. I think the other big thing was when there's a strategic need, like when you fit in someone else's glove or whatever the glove like it is it, it just there wasn't a lot of. It was clear that they needed it more than, they wanted it more than anyone. They, you know, they, they, all yeah. that pe- that stuff was, and boom. So they went and got it done. And they, and I will say, by the way, because I think it's important, they're buying other businesses. They were amazing throughout that process. That's another thing that founders don't realize. I made that mistake when we divested the EDU business. I took the highest bidder and they're, and I'll say it publicly, they were scumbags. They retraded the deal. They kept adding time to the deal. You know, they had, they knew they had leverage. I was building the social business back in 2013, 2012. Yep. And, and, you know, they fucked us at every opportunity they got this other. This was back in 2013. These guys couldn't have been more different. Yeah. There was an issue that popped up. Hey guys, we're going to work through this with you. Oh, Hey, what's going on with this client? They changed around when they're spending their money. No problem. We get your business. We're going to work with you. They no retrade. No. I mean, they, they were, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. And I, I, the reason I'm calling it out is because it's rare. It's actually, Oh yeah. Most people do. Most people
1: do not act in good faith when they're buying or selling companies.
0: Well, I, the buying, especially because remember, once you sign, just so everyone knows, you sign on November 1st, we signed. They have exclusivity over, over us. We cannot talk to anybody else. That's one of the binding requirements. So if you're a buyer, you get someone in and then you go, oh, you know what? We looked at the company. We thought it was worth this. We actually think it's worth 20% less. That's a very common occurrence. And I thought that they, if they wanted to, they could have done stuff like that to us. They could have picked at things, yeah. And that that's just not how they behaved. And I thought I was like, I was very uh, happy with the way that they all behaved during the process, and, awesome. and very collaboratively.
1: I, I have one last question for you about the process, and then I want us to finish um, this episode talking about what it was personally like for you around the process. Tell me for you what you have. All these different variables that are involved in a deal. Um, you have what amount is cash versus equity um how much are you getting today versus in the future and how long how far in the future um who is the partner what is their goal with why they're acquiring us and how much autonomy will we have how much will it be our vision versus their vision i'm sure there are other things that also go into the process how did you in your in your head prioritize these different variables and what did you optimize for
0: yeah um I think the number one thing for me uh, was cash at close for me and my family. You know, I, I I wasn't running the business anymore. I don't control a lot of what's going to happen if there's an earn out or anything else like that. Um, and so I was like, all right, like, what, what am I taking home when this thing closes? What am I giving yep. up? And one funny surprise, by the way, in the process, it, it, You know, the previous time I'd done this, like lawyers and accountants, they all obviously turned to me. I was the CEO and the founder. Now I was not, and one funny thing that happened that was like it made sense to me later on was they, the the lawyers and accountants kept coming to me and Nick for every decision. And actually, they left it with the, one of their jokes, and we were doing like superlatives at the end of the deal. And one of our jokes was John was the most left off person of emails, and it was actually kind of crazy, like but it did reinforce the importance of ownership to me, which was as a matter of course, and the bankers too. They came to us, they go, you're the owners. What do yep. you want to do here? And that was like, whoa, that's, you know, and so that was an interesting aside. But cash flows, I think number two was, the, you know, was the team going to be taken care of both financially as well as a, as a good, um, good culture? Are they going to preserve yep. that? Are they going to build on that? That was super important to me on the margin, you know, relative to cash. Uh, once we had hit a certain number, I think um, those are probably the two. Okay. And I mean yeah, it's different when you're going with the company, right? Then you have your comp plan and your earn out timeline and all these other things. I coached John a lot through that by the way. Like I helped him negotiate those things.
1: Well, just speaking about negotiation for a sec, what was you, what's your negotiation style in these types of conversations? Um and talk for a second about the uh the interesting clause you negotiated around uh if you died.
0: <laughs> um yeah but that was a different deal that was that was Was a money fundraise yeah yeah, yeah. oh what (laughs) i can bring that up but the um the you know one funny thing that happened to me during this deal was i remember feeling very uncomfortable in the middle of it and not knowing why and not knowing what to do about it and the reason i realized later because later on you know Typically when I negotiate with someone, I have built a relationship with them. I have a lot of trust. I'm the kind of person who's on text or can just give them a phone call and say, Hey, you know, let's problem solve this together. Like I yeah. like to I, I believe in collaboration and problem solving. And like I always believe one plus one can equal three if you're creative enough and you're sort of, you know, you're not coming from a place of fear. I had no relationship with the other party up until really the last couple weeks of this. They had met John. He pitched the business. He was going with the deal, and you know he, you know he obviously cared about his own economics. He cared about ours too, of course, but not in the same way. And so there were a handful of like silly things. There was like the date moving. There was a few big items that felt very serious at the time. And I couldn't pick up the phone and just call Zach, their CEO, and go, "Hey, man, help me." And and I didn't have that actual trust with the other, and, and with the other person, and that was super uncomfortable for right. me. And even like the, I remember the term sheet was like pretty back and forth. It wasn't not normally how I would do it, which is like I would get on the phone and go, what's really important to you guys? Here's what's really important to us. Let's put this on a page. Let's find the Venn diagram and let's find a deal we're both really, really excited about. And so we got there. I mean, the the deal ultimately happened that way, but that was a really good learning for myself. I was talking to my coach after like, man, I felt like I was entering into this hugely important thing for my life. I you didn't have control. One hand tied behind my back. Yeah. But reflecting on it, there's no reason I couldn't have asserted that. I just didn't. It's not like, like I could have said, Hey, hold on before I, I signed this thing, I would like to meet these people <laughs> and like yeah. get to know them a little bit. And and like, there was a call, there was like a very serious call with 30 zooms and lawyers and all these people on right towards the tail end where we had to sort through the final, final issues of the agreement. Right. There's like, what's this going to work and how's the non-compete and all these things. And I ended up, I realized it right after that call. Cause I ended up leading that call from our side for a variety of reasons and I was joking with their, their private equity guys and their CEO. I'm like, guys, you know, you want, you want to tie me down for f- so many years. Like, it, and then I realized I was like, Oh, I'm really good at that. Like that's a skill I have. And I haven't been able to oh, yeah. use it up until yeah, now. Yeah, Your
1: banter is incredible tool.
0: Yeah. It, it's like trust building. It's not taking yourself too seriously. There's all these pieces that go into a, a good deal. Yeah. That I, like most of them I didn't get to use during, during the process. And towards the end I did a little bit cause there was a few final things, but um, and i was like shit like that's a good learning for me and i could have just i could have had that for much earlier on in the and why so don't my you negotiation is problem solving do, do you think
1: do you think the reason that you didn't engage like the ceo of the business that bought you directly because you were afraid of stepping on john's toes like what was the reason that you didn't do what you could have
0: um i'm a beginner like i've never been the chairman founder but not the yeah. ceo of a business i like I didn't, yeah. You know, I just didn't know what to do. I'd say, yeah. and I think like yeah, yeah, part yeah. of it was like it was John's thing, and I didn't. I didn't want to create conflicting signals, and I didn't. I, you know, so I, it was just like let him lead. There was bankers also. We asked the bankers, eh, you don't need to do that. It's not a big deal. Which they're probably right. I mean, the deal got done. It wasn't, the, but for me, I think it, I would have. I would have felt more comfortable and been better if I've had, I've had some line into someone on the other side, which I just yeah. I didn't really.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. It's also interesting to think about, right? Like you mentioned with the term sheet, it's not the process you would have run, but like still worked itself out, which is totally, just an interesting yeah. thing. And just seeing like- what... I bet
0: you it would have gotten done if I disappeared for, totally, if I was in the totally. hospital for 90 days and and couldn't talk to anybody. I would have just had this check show up in my bank account. Yeah, so, so. interesting.
1: Okay, we're going to get into the, uh, the internal stuff. Um, if you had to- <clears throat> You you think about the journey from August to deal close or even to today from beginning to end. I want you to just start pointing out to me specific emotions that you know you felt in this process and when you felt them and kind of why you think you felt them. And just bring up any emotion that comes to mind first.
0: Yeah. Um God, so many, man. I think like I I, I felt some fear um early on and john would call me out on it because you know he's never sold a company he's never pitched like buyers or investors and i have and i'm pretty good at it and and so i felt fear early on or i was like a little micromanaging towards him that it like we even we almost got an unsolicited offer earlier in the year and i was just like freaking out i was like oh wait make sure you don't don't say this do this say this like there's just a bunch to manage around it and i sort of Not, not probably not my most, the best version of myself. That was like, I remember that feeling. Um, there was, I can't talk about it, but there was one buyer in the process who was like such a cool buyer, um, like such a well-known brand name company. And, um, you know, I don't think they were the right buyer, but, but they, it would, I felt a lot of pride that they took a long, hard look at the company. I felt really, really like that's, that's super You felt like a badass. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, felt like a badass, um, and proud of the culture, and proud that it like it wasn't like they took a look and like ah we're good. They they spent you know hours, uh, days with the team and were waffling and and half the people who didn't do the deal call me and say oh we should have done this you know so it was like it was a cool one that's um, awesome. At some point I'll share it and and um that was pride I think like a ton of excitement. And gratitude for John and the team when when we signed the term sheet, um, because you know that's as you know from the process, like that's the moment it really gets real. You know, like it's at that point you're eighty percent to close, right? You're very likely. And so I felt a lot of pride uh, at that point. There was a lot of fun during the process. So we we like our my long term VP of finance and HR became the COO of Ampush. Then she actually left. She left like a year and a half ago. She went to be the CEO of another startup didn't work out. And then we convinced her to come back to help lead this deal.
1: That's awesome.
0: Um, so she was back and then me, Nick and John, and we were like, it was very last dance vibes. Like it was like, yeah, this is it. We're calling each other. We're texting. We're figuring it out. Like there was, it was just fun. It was like really fun. Um, I also felt a lot of gratitude for the people like Kahani growth assistant. Like they were, you know, they were helping me. It took a lot of my time and more than my time. It took a lot of my like mind share, uh, for somewhat obvious reasons. um, there was a couple of like periods of frustration. Like the, the biggest one, again in retrospect, is not a big deal. But you just these things are so tense, right? Like we we were ready to close the deal, and they said let's close the deal in December, such and such date. And then like three days later, they said never mind, we want to close in early January. And we just it was fear and frustration. Like what? What? What do you mean? Are they looking at another deal? You were just like, ready. Them,
1: like, you were just ready for it to be done.
0: Well, it was just well. No, it was more fear. Like are, are they giving themselves? optionality to look at a different deal are they are they cooling out are they like what's going on you don't really know yeah. and it's like i call my buddies in private equity i go this is what happened and they, they weren't reassuring at all they were like yes it could be <laughs> it could be the reason they're saying it could be they just need more time and they don't want it to show up in their financials for a year which is like the stated reason they want to make, give more time to communicate it internally So very reasonable reasons it could also be they found another deal they like more it could also be this and these private equity i'm like fuck this is scary like what we, we've spent so much time and energy on this. So there's a lot of fear there.
1: It's also just such a good illustration of like when when you are fear, feeling fearful in any of these scenarios, it's amazing how good our brains are at story making. Totally. And also how often the majority of the time, the simplest story is the answer, but like how good yeah. we are at creating stories that are go to the extremes of painfulness.
0: It's also, by the way, but back to my whole thing of not having a line into the other side and not having trust built. It also, for me, was a signal of that was lacking. Because, again, when I've done deals in the past, if I actually have human trust with another totally. person and he goes, Jesse. You wouldn't worry about it. I, I get it. You feel a little worried. Tr- like, on my honor. And I could even, I would. I'm, by the way, I'm a very candid person and I'm very okay asking uncomfortable questions. So I'd be like, dude, are you guys looking at someone else? I would have that conversation with the other side normally, right? right I but just, you didn't you couldn't do that a in a banker, there was a CEO, like you know, there's all these other people there, and it made it harder for me to but it was a good it was a good point out. Um, you know, we signed the deal, we did what's called a split sign and close. I think I told you this offline, but like so we signed on the twenty first of December and we closed on the fourth. So imagine the most like anticipatory two weeks <laughs> of your life. The deal is done. Like all it, the, it, hustle this hustle. Is,
1: I don't know if we're going to run this, but this is the, the MA version of blue balls.
0: Yeah. I didn't want to say that, but yes, it, it's just like, Oh my God, is it going to like, it's going to happen. It's like, yeah. you know, and then your family, like nobody knows you to congratulate you. Like when I was like, that's not close. And my dad's like a real estate guy. So he's like, you don't, you stay on this every day until like, you know, it's not done until the money's in the bank. Like, so there's yep. like all these, like, it's just like sitting there. And that was a, like, it's just a highly anticipation oriented period it kind of like a just preoccupied, you know, totally. like every day it's preoccupied. And then I flew up to New York for the deal to actually close. And that was like the night before me, John, and Nick got dinner. And there was just like tons of appreciation and gratitude. And you know, their their wives came and there was just just like really I think you know one of the things I'm proudest of us as a group is this is something my coach really introduced. He's like, you know, typically when you go through like a salary negotiation with someone or a challenging situation, like everyone basically prices in that you're going to hurt your trust with that person a little bit. I'm going to piss them off a little bit, but we'll get to a place. He's always like, no, how do you get your trust to go higher through a process like that? Yeah. How do you love each other more and trust each other more? And actually when you reframe it that way, you do things very differently. And so that was like, I felt like we all came out of it feeling more gratitude and love for each other. Um, you know, there was a, a really interesting, well, actually I think it happened around then like there was like it was weird for me and strange I'd call it and maybe feeling like I I, just being totally candid like a little bit um, under acknowledged or lost in the process because I was I'm just so used to being the man like the guy in the middle like when it Jesse's Jesse Pooji, he's this guy he's gonna be the guy everybody falls in love with and nobody gave a shit about me. I was just like shareholder a to to like yeah. just John was the man and the team you know, and which by the way, I love, but there was a part of me that was like,, well, what about me? You know, like there was well, definitely a part very of rational me that wanted, yeah, that wanted the glory of of and then part of also the glory of like, hey, I ran this business for ten years. yeah, and this guy, you know, these guys ran for like I you know, what about me? I built this thing. So there was definitely a little bit of that and wanting it ultimately came from, I think, from Nick and John of just saying like acknowledging me going, yeah, like dude, we know. we know that you were critical to this, but it was definitely. Uh, that was a feeling as we got towards the end of like, you know, of wanting to be acknowledged or wanting to be, uh, get, get some credit for it, which is, and, which is and, hard and to I admit, think it's, but true.
1: No. And I, I think it's such a natural thing. I'm just curious if you can, from your perspective, identify why you want that validation. Like, what do you think was the root of like, why you want to be recognized for that?
0: I don't know. I, uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I worked my ass off for it. Yeah. Um, I think I feel like I, you know, one of the downsides of the three co-founder structure from early on was always like we were the founders. And I think like, yeah, at different times, if I felt like I was without me, it couldn't happen. And and I wanted someone to say that, I don't know, just like wanting to see, be seen maybe just like anybody wants that.
1: I I can imagine also like. Again, this this identity for you as an entrepreneur and a business builder is like so core to who you are. Yeah. If if there's anything, well,
0: Ampush was so core to who I. I mean, I think I wore t shirts publicly, like like some founders do, for five years. And if you saw me externally at a conference, I had an Ampush t shirt on. Totally. And I remember I hadn't worn one during the like post CEO phase as a part of changing that. And then I was like, wait a second, like this is you know the other funny thing that happened to me, Alex. I don't know if I told you about this, but like. You know, I I stopped being CEO and I left San Francisco in the middle of COVID, and so there was never the party. There was never both personal and business party of goodbye, Jesse. There was never there was like an all hands on, on Zoom or something. Yeah, but it was, it was more was like the Irish exit of of running a company. So I felt there was like this missing closure, and then I'd say I think as the deal got done, the day the wire got sent, I felt like a crazy amount of probably anticipation because. It takes whatever, six hours. Like I was like, I'm not I, I can't feel happy. Like I just don't feel it yet. I don't feel it yet. And I was like, Were you constantly
1: checking for those six oh, hours? Yeah. Your bank account?
0: Constantly texting people. Like the bankers in the middle of it wrote us a note like, Hey, did you guys get your wire? I'm like, Wait, does that mean you got yours? Like you got paid before like so there's like this funny process, like where's the money? You know, and like my dad wouldn't call me until he confirmed I got the money like he's like did you get the money and then as soon as i was like yes he's like you know like so there's like that that day of but then and were nick you
1: where were you with your family like were you with your wife and kids
0: I, when the i wire can't hit? well so i'll tell you yeah, it's a great story so i was with nick and his family in the morning because i was in new york we did the phone call where you're like signatures approved blah 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 the money is being sent him and i took a long walk in brooklyn and did a lot of reflecting and sort of just like appreciation acknowledgments for each other but it felt he was like, dude, are you okay? Like I, like, cause I just wasn't fully there yet. I was like waiting for yeah. it. And then I went and got lunch with the private equity partner from the firm who bought it. And then it finally hit that afternoon. Then I was like, oh, let's go like that. Like it was, it was I felt the release, physical release. And then I flew home that night and my wife had, the kids were all decked out in ambush gear and they had like music like playing when I walked in. So the awesome. kids were so excited and so happy about it. And it's really, you know, one really cool part about it is like, it would have been cool to sell the company in 2015. It was so cool to share it with them, and they're both old enough now to like actually be like, "Oh, I know that like that means something really big." Yeah, and that to, would have to happened to feel like, excited for you. Excited for me to see it happen, to understand what that means. Like, uh, the funny thing was when we first told when we first got under LOI, I told my son, "I'm like, we're selling Ampush," and he got upset. He's like, no, don't sell it. You're the founding father. He calls it like, You're the founding father of Ampush. Don't you can't. That's your company. What do you mean? You can't give it to someone like he was really upset by it. And then I'd say like a big crash of sadness happened on that day. Like and we sold it like it the first time Nick and I don't have anything we're working on together in 20 years. And I think it hit both of us. He was crying. I was crying like it was.
1: And are you a crier? Like, do you cry often?
0: No, not a huge one, uh, but I do. Um, yeah. And no, it hit me. I mean, it hit me big time. And I think like, even the, it's a little surreal of it not being ours anymore. It's been such a big part of my life for so long. So it was like, kind of like feeling a little bit like feeling for your cell phone and it's not there anymore or whatever. Like there was that feeling of it just being a normal part of things. I'm still in a couple of the Slack joint channels. So I'm like, hi guys, I'm still here. Um <laughs> I said i miss you them the other day and there's like a business development channel I was like i miss you guys so funny um but yeah is it was, it was sadness and then and then i think like a huge way that one of the coolest things that happened was the next couple of days and that happened again this week two days after the deal we announced it to the employees and former employees because they were all getting paid right and then it was like i felt tons of gratitude but we got barraged with messages i'm um, so like I, I should we should share some of them but there's like I'm so glad I started my career there. You guys change everything. I'm so happy for you. I know this is what you like. There was hundred. I mean, we had the huge alumni base and all these people pouring in. And then the external version of it happened this week when we announced it publicly, which was like, Oh my God, these people I have not talked to in five years and people who bet on us early, you know, like there's a lot of humanness involved in this. I started when I was 25. It's insane. Right. And now I'm like, I'm 38. And so there was like, and I don't think there was ever a proper moment to go, reflect on the whole huge journey and now that moment is here and so it's been really great to have that but um, a lot of gratitude a lot of gratitude for my wife like
1: well i was um, gonna say you um you wrote an awesome uh twitter thread that we should link to in the show notes and honestly i feel like that could be an episode in itself because you had all these lessons in that thread but you finished your thread the last tweet was about thanking your wife and having gratitude for her um you know just talk about for a second because i I feel like it goes underappreciated sometimes kind of like the level of just sacrifice and support that any partner life partner has to provide to another partner who is an entrepreneur and has their own business just talk about that for a sec
0: yeah it's a yeah it's a superhuman level of of you know appreciation support tolerance that's a word that comes in some ways like it's, you know, the best analogy I, I was like, it's like imagine a training for an Olympic sport. I feel like people can visualize what that looks like. You're up early in the morning, you're home late at night, your diet is unique. You're, you have to do certain things on the weekends you otherwise wouldn't have to do. You're, you're it's hard to be mentally present. You know, I, I had, you know, my EQ has grown as I've grown, but I had no EQ in the first five years. So, you know, wasn't, wasn't open to few, like, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, it takes a lot to, to, to per, as a person, in some ways, take a backseat to somebody else's thing, right? Like knowing like you're late to something, you're, you're going to cancel something. And even just being in that status with another person, I think it's obviously unfair in retrospect, but like, that's the status. The status is something, something for your business comes up. That's important. I'm going to, my thing is going to get deprioritized. And I think I got much better at it after we had kids, but, those first five years I mean you know it was I was I was working a ton and I was mentally when I wasn't working I was mentally not fully there um and she's still here so <laughs> she, she didn't have to be you know I mean like and she was supportive of that and um yeah I think it's one of the most unseen roles in any kind of success like this um and I'm even now I'm, we're still unpacking sort of you know my appreciation gratitude the things I, I didn't even know I Know I was feeling, or know that I needed, that I was getting uh, from that, and uh, yeah, it's a big one.
1: Yeah, and I I like how you just talked about it in retrospect of being unfair. It's like I almost view it as like, um, you know, the the a partner to an entrepreneur is like so beautiful in the in the fact that they're signing up for ground rules that are unfair ground rules, yet they're still doing it, totally. and they're doing it unapologetically, um, which is amazing. And,
0: and the other crazy thing I think we, we don't say enough is no, if you're not doing it, you have no idea what it feels like or what it's, what the person's going through. So they do it not. I don't mean this in a negative way. They don't have an understanding or empathy because they can't, it's a like hard to know. And yet they're still doing it. Yeah. So it's like, I, I'm going to support you. It's almost parental, right? Like I'm going to support you. Even though I have no idea what that's like, I don't even know what you're feeling or going through, but I'm still going to somehow choose to support you. That takes a big person, you know. Yeah, it takes a lot 100%. of like love and a big heart.
1: Um. Well, I think the tape's been running for like over an hour, and um I feel like we could go for another hour. But given our other episodes are fifteen to forty minutes, it if you've made it to this point of the episode, just shoot us an email at ones at morningbrew.com I just am so interested in how many people made it to this exact <laughs> spot. Seriously. The crazy ones at morningbrew.com. Just say hi. I want to see how many people got to this spot. But we're going to finish up with uh, some rapid fire. I have a few fun questions for you, and then uh, we'll call it a night. First question is, do you feel more successful today than before the deal closed? Yes. Why?
0: Um... You know, I, I thought back in 2014, like the, having the stamp as a, as exited entrepreneur, or successful entrepreneur would matter a lot. And then for many years I was like, ah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You know, Rick, Rick is this guy I really admire and he's doesn't, he's not exited. He's been running his business for, and I think there is something to it. Like, I think getting it across the finish line matters to the world, like people, the way you're treated, the way kind of that, that success, um. And I think I'm, I'm getting used to this amount of cash, but like there is something unique about it and getting to plan and think for the future or feeling very secure and safe in the family. You know, I, I had that to some degree before, but now it's like really there. And it's like, I get, you know, a luxury to example maybe thinking about is like, I was talking to my buddy the other day about like, could we start something that would like be here in a hundred years? And I just have never thought that way before. Never had, like thought I could think that way.
1: Totally. Second question. Have you made a fuck you money purchase yet? Or are you thinking about it?
0: <laughs> I think you know the answer to this question. <laughs> I'm buying myself that a very you're nice car. About <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but I will say that um, Jesse is always judicious about his finances. And so it is a car that there will be tax benefits of buying.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, I'll write off the entirety of this week's large purchase price. <laughs> um. And I I got the dealer to come down 23 grand by calling around. I called around the country and I found uh, I created some leverage. So
1: there we go. Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be the grandpa that's going gas station to gas station uh, (laughs) when you're older, seeing which one's selling uh, a gallon for a penny less. My grandpa does that. Um, Next question is, have you thought about how you raise and support your children in a way that they have the hunger that you had as a child, given that you have money now that can lead to entitlement?
0: I've definitely thought about it. I don't know that I have any genius answers to it. I mean, I think I I'd, I'd love for them to have the motivation. I mean, I've spent a lot of time on motivation, but I'd I'd love to have for them to have m- as much or more motivation than me. But I think one of the issues with the premise of that question is like my motivation came from like maybe seeing hard immigrant parents and, it, and we talk a lot about the fear motivation mm-hmm. or the chip on the shoulder being the driver versus a like love or desire oriented motivation where you're actually trying to go do something interesting and compelling. And so in my perfect world, they'd be more motivated or as motivated, but from a different place. Um, my, my son is very inventive. He comes, I mean, he curated like a widget toy the other day with Legos. He, and I want him to be able to pursue that with reckless abandon because he likes it and he wants it. Not because he has to, or not because he feels the need to make money. And I think he will ultimately, but I, I think, and my daughter's insanely creative. I mean, she tells entertaining stories at the age of five that, you know, and so like, I want her to be able to pursue that, assuming that's what they choose and want totally. to pursue as people. So I want them to be motivated to be, I want them to be enabled and motivated to do great things because they want to, and they're dra- drawn, you know, they're drawn to it. Not because not in my opinion, my reasons were like, I wanted to be rich. Cause I like, you know, I saw my parents struggle and, and wanted to be a business baller. Like it was just a very different motivator is a different motivator. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, there's not uh, like some of the thoughts in my mind is like, I'm not, there's not going to be a lot of free money given between me and them. Uh, and I don't just mean when they, uh, you know, when I die, which is also probably not going to happen, but, um, you know, like they'll, if they get allowances, they'll do chores for them. If I'll expect, if they want to spend money on random shit, I want them just like I did to get an hourly job. I think an hourly job when you're 15 or 16 is one of the great balancers. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I I don't think there will not be a lot of like here's your credit card you have a budget and allow like that 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 just won't happen regardless. Yeah, they're gonna work for what they earn. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Well, it's it sounds like kind of the north star there is very clear, and you want them to to feel this love based motivation for the things they do, as you get a better sense of like the tools and the language you use in your life to to try to guide them towards there. I'd love to to do an episode where we kind of really unpack what is the playbook because I, yeah. you know, not that it's a very common challenge, but I think it is a very real challenge for a group of people that that experience it. Um, last question for you, and then I promise we're done. What's next?
0: Yeah. One of the benefits of of the way we did this for us was Nick and I acknowledged this was like, we thought about selling the business in 2020 when we decided to come out of it. And we probably, you know, we would have just been finishing an earnout right now or something like that. And instead we kind of got the benefit of, we took time off. And then we've both of us have started new things and we're working on new projects. So I, I have my hands full, um, with all the stuff I've gotten going, which, which you know, multiple three companies have started the venture studio, um, there is a part of me, even before closing the deal, who wanted to reduce the time on my calendar a bit. You know, we've talked about my schedule and and, and bring that down a little bit. And I, so I think that still holds a little bit. I'm curious to see. I I'm like not trying to over control how I will respond and react to this. At the moment, I'm like, no, this is I'm building Kahani and there's this going on and you know these things are getting off the ground. I have I still want to build this venture studio. I still want to work every day, um, and build some cool something really cool that I'm really proud of i i suspect there will be some edits and adjustments as i go yeah one example is like can i use some of my talent and capital to build again something that's just for the benefit of humanity versus making more money like that's Mm -hmm. again a question i don't think i would have even asked a month or two ago um i told my my coach was asking i was like i think i will do things less because i feel like i have to and more because i want to and i don't mean that in a big way because i think in the big way i'm doing what i want to but i mean like Um, like I'm the key sales rep for Kahani right now. Like I take the sales calls and I I like it to a degree, but it's like, you know what? Like maybe we should hire a person to do that so I could get like seven hours back in my calendar. You know, it's like, so there's stuff like that where I think I'm doing them from the more foundry need to get this done thing that I think I'll probably have less tolerance for.
1: I love it. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly appreciative for you walking through the journey and also kind of what the what the emotional experience was um, for the 13 years that was building the business and the reflection um, on selling it um, because, I mean, I think you painted such a a good picture of kind of this rainbow of emotions that founders experience and I hope our listeners found it valuable. And, you know, I know as, uh, you know, a friend and I look to you as a mentor, I've learned so much just from your process of building your businesses and, you know, just another notch on the belt um and i know there's many more to come
0: yeah thank you you know the one thing i i end on is with the benefit of this many years and this kind of view of hindsight the people are really the only thing that preserve through any of these things and of all walks in life like our biggest clients are you know who at one point took the business in-house and churned they're still my friends um, you know, our, some of our employees, like a lot of our employees, part part, I've been going back and forth with all the partner managers at Facebook who got us to be in the special program. Like those relationships endure beyond any of this stuff. Um, and it's just a reminder to everybody and myself of like, that's also why they should be the most prized and prioritized part of any of these things. But it, it's so true. Like it just not, not ambush doesn't matter anymore technically to me, right? The numbers don't matter. The none of it, it's not mine anymore. But all of these relationships and people are very much a part of my life. And and it's just a really important thing to remember um, for anyone listening.
1: 100%. And on that very similar note, if you are a listener that is still listening to this episode after (laughs) uh, an hour and 15 minutes of us bantering about um, the journey that Jesse's experienced over the last 13 years, we thank you. And I just have one last ask of you before you sign off for the day and wait until next week's episode of The Crazy Ones. And that is shoot us an email at thecrazyonesatmorningbrew.com and just say congratulations to Jesse. I want to see how many congrats <laughs> we get for uh, for Jesse because what he's accomplished is awesome. And it'd also be cool to just meet more people in our community, see how many more crazies there are out there. Thanks everyone for listening.